Welcome to Alter Everything, a podcast about data science and analytics culture. I'm Maddie Johansson, and today I'm joined by Steve Mann, Managing Director at Propel32. I'm a proud resident of, of New York City and a native of Perth, West Australia. I hope my family don't hear me say it in that order. <laughs> Steve has a background in finance, has led teams at PwC, and is currently focused on using analytics and M&A, mergers and acquisitions. As Steve is in New York, he's had a very close look at the devastation that COVID-19 has had on the city and decided to give back. Propel32 partnered with NYC Service and New York Cares, the largest volunteer network in New York City, and used Alteryx to provide actionable insight into their data at a time of true crisis. So throughout our conversation, you'll hear Steve talk about the importance of analytics basics and why simplicity should never be underestimated. Let's get started. I'm interested to hear then how it became kind of happenstance for you to, to move to New York. So happenstance for me, and, and Ultrix actually, actually has a part to play here. So I spent my whole career um, up until launching Propel32 at, at PwC. I was working up in Toronto, on, I was up in Secondment and was doing my normal sort of M&A related work and started playing around with analytics tools where I was looking at looking at my career and thinking, well, I love doing this work. I love analyzing businesses and helping clients in an M&A environment. But if I've got to look at these data problems for the next 40 years, I'm going to be pretty unhappy. So I um, started to play around with analytics tools that would help me get around those problems. And then it ended up spending more and more time solving commercial problems with these analytics tools and, and sort of pivoting from the traditional work that I was, that I was doing. Ended up getting a tap on the shoulder from, from the firm to see if I was interested in, in coming down to New York to build a team focused on analytics in M&A. And while, again, it wasn't on the agenda before that, the appeal of coming down to New York on a, from, from a um, professional perspective as well as a personal perspective, it was, a, it was um, too hard to say, to say no to. So bit the bullet, moved down to New York, two and a half years ago now and really feel like I'm ingrained or starting to become ingrained in New York and haven't looked back. So I'm really, really grateful for the opportunity to come and do that. It's opened up a world of opportunities both professionally and personally as well. So, yeah, Steve, with your years of experience leading teams at PwC and now as a managing director at Propel32, I'm sure you've seen analytics change over your years. And I'm wondering if you can share with us how you've seen that change happen or what the change has been. Yeah, certainly. And, and I would say, so, so my, in my field, I'm really focused on analytics in M&A. So a lot of my clients are either private equity clients or corporate clients who are looking to buy or sell a business. And they're looking to understand as much as they can about that business in a very short space of time. If they're selling a business, demonstrate to a potential buyer where the growth opportunities exist and get those buyers really comfortable that you know, those opportunities are real with a really strong analysis. With that in mind, the concept of analytics is one that has always been of interest. I think in the last four or five years, it's gone from something that's interesting to something that people appreciate can actually provide a competitive advantage 
in a, in a deal setting. So the pressure to get it right or the pressure to, 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 to get the ball rolling has definitely picked up. I think many, many people in this space or many clients in this space are trying to work out the, the best use cases. I think a lot of us in analytics can appreciate that analytics can mean a lot of different things. And I think the, the challenge is finding the best use cases that have the greatest impact in, in a deal setting. And look, analytics MA is tough. It's you know, really short timelines. You have very limited access to management. Often the data or existing infrastructure isn't set up to analyze the business in the way that the business is going to be analyzed for the purpose of a transaction. The stakes are really high. Someone's going to buy or sell the whole business. So it's high pressure environment. And equally, there's a need for simplicity because a lot of people need to understand what's going on. So really complicated solutions aren't going to work. So it's it's a tough environment. And because of that, where I've seen the highest and, and best use cases or highest and best use of analytics is really spending a lot of time on developing a really powerful descriptive analysis that's sitting on top of an enhanced data set that's had a lot of scrubbing that that has been pulled together from a number of different data sources and that has had simple things fixed like I'm sure we, many of us have felt the pain of customer names, same customer name that's entered four different times, simple things like that that, have, that can be cleaned at speed so that we have an enhanced data set to, to drive a, a powerful business analysis that can be delivered within weeks. They're the highest and best uses in an M&A environment from, from what I've seen. And I think the market is starting to dip their toe in and, and try different things. And I think as we go, go along our, in this journey, we will continue to evolve to, to more sophisticated use cases. But where I see the market right now is a desire to find those use cases and those who have figured it out are able to create a competitive advantage by finding new insights that otherwise would have gone unseen in a very short period of time. Yeah. And a couple of things that really struck me, you know, as you were talking, I love that you mentioned kind of the, you kind of sort of alluded to the chaos that can be out there when it comes to, you know, applications or platforms or, you know, trying to pick the best data strategy or how do you even get started? And I think that that can definitely be overwhelming. But as you mentioned, you know, one of your focus areas is just really trying to drill down, narrow the scope and be nimble and be able to deliver those insights that are super impactful for people who are, as you said, looking to purchase an entire business or sell a business or anything like that, you know, really big picture stuff, but really trying to focus, I think is really important. And I love that you brought it up. So when it comes to actually working with your clients, I'm curious if you have a specific approach to helping them find insights with analytics. Um, how do you, you know, really get started with the mindset of, you know, this is what we're going to come in and do for you. Yeah, I think the, the the reason we ended up we end up doing that and and spending so much time up front on aligning on what we're trying to do is 
have felt the pain on, you know, again, and I describe analytics as a double-edged sword because it, it has so many use cases and there's so many options. And, and so without that, that clarity, I think what I've experienced, it introduces risk of spending time, you know, it, we re, where we revisit in a few weeks time or, or through the project and not meeting the o- overall objective because there's lots of good ideas and lots of good use cases and it's almost hard to to say no to some of those so that having that clear plan just keeps everyone on track for sure and let's talk about some of the maybe most forgotten about or underestimated steps or concepts in analytics you know is there any low hanging fruit that you think analysts should be keeping more top of mind Low-hanging fruit, I would say. That's that's a phrase I use a lot. I think <laughs> the low-hanging fruit in my in my mind, and from what what we see, is focusing on, as I've mentioned, there's really powerful descriptive analyses that can be explained in a really simple way to business users that can drive a different outcome with that analysis. I think there's this um, inherent trade-off that we always acknowledge between precision and simplicity. And, you know, for those that get excited about analytics in the world of possibilities, like I do sometimes, a lot of the time, the ability to add precision, continually add precision is exciting, but appreciate that often the developer or the builder of the analysis is not the intended user. And so, stepping back and being in the shoes in of the intended user and thinking about hey if i was if i was the business user and i was using this new tool or i was trying to leverage this new analysis do i understand what it's doing do i understand how it's built up can i act on it with conviction can i communicate to others what it does and convince them to to make a different decision because of it i think the role of simplicity sometimes can easily get overlooked when when thinking about analytics applications. So I think simplicity can often get underestimated, particularly for those, again, I'm, I'm, my hand's up here, I'm one of them that, that gets excited about the, the world of possibilities with analytics. So yeah, and something that you mentioned earlier about how Spending time up front is super important for making sure that you don't waste any time. And that kind of reminded me of, you know, like sometimes where if you get into a debate or you're in an interview and you get on a tangent and eventually you totally forget what your main argument was or what the question was, how do analysts make sure that they don't get on these tangents and how often should they check in with themselves to make sure that they're still asking the right questions? questions yeah look good question i think it's definitely not a one size fits all but as a part of our sort of planning we kind of try and introduce at least a a number of steps in there where we get to step back and get out of the weeds and, and think about okay are we are we still on track here i think thinking about thinking about those steps uh i think step one is do we actually have a clear hypothesis or game plan that we're that we're shooting at and that game plan should include checkpoints around if things are going on track x y and z should happen at these stages so step one is actually having the plan and having all the stakeholders aligned to that plan i think the next piece is 
really getting comfortable with data quality. I think where I've seen the most amount of time being wasted is building a great analysis, but not having a great data set that fits into it. So the, the data integrity checks up front. Can I trust it? And often it's okay if the data set's not perfect. The challenge I, I always want to sort of give to, to the team is like, it's okay that it's not perfect. How can we fix it? There are ways to, to work around it. And even if that means that we don't end up in a, with a perfect data set, as long as we can articulate the, the limitations and, and impact of those limitations to our client, we still often end up in a better place than they would have been without the benefit of with our work. So identify the data weaknesses, work around them where we can, where you can't, document and, and communicate those and sort of make sure that end user understands the limitations. Next step is, okay, we now know what data we have and the limitations. Let's reevaluate what we thought we were going to build now having the benefit of knowing what data we have. And again, re-engage with stakeholders and business users before you go and build to make sure that those limitations would be acceptable and get their input around them. And then once we go and do the build, I think there's a, a couple of interim steps to make sure the stakeholders have some input as, as we're building out the outputs or building out the analyses. Keep it simple. Don't add too much flexibility and functionality up front. Do the bare minimum. Get that in front of them. Make sure that that aligns to what they're expecting. Get their feedback and then document your assumptions or, or limitations so they can use it going forward. I think at that point, usually a lot of our work would be in the hands of business users. And sometimes if we step back, we've probably had three or four touch points to make sure we're not going too far off course. But in the instance where the output or deliverable is something that is maintained on an ongoing basis, I think including in, in the plan, ongoing checkpoints to make sure that you're not only testing new data as it's going through, but also getting periodic user feedback is a good part of the process. You know, so you mentioned your focus on M&A, but you also mentioned earlier during your uh, intro that you did work for New York Cares. And I'm curious if you could tell us more about that campaign that you did for them. And then also maybe tell us a little bit about that campaign through the lens of that strategy that you just laid out for me. Yeah. So, so maybe a little intro on New York Cares and the Volunteer Coordination Task Force. The for New York Cares and the Task Force coordinate thousands of volunteers in New York in times of emergency. The task force was created during Hurricane Sandy and they provide critical services like meal delivery to vulnerable residents of New York. So the task force, I think it had thousands of volunteers who are out doing sort of boots on the ground work to help the community. So how we got involved, we were sitting here in New York looking around in, and, and seeing the sort of challenging times our community was sort of facing back in March, April, and wanted to find a way to give back. So we started to reach out to, to not-for-profits and, and through our network to figure out how we might be able to use our skill set to give back to the community. So ended up getting in contact with New York Cares. And then as we sort of stepped through the strategy of this project, first step was had a workshop with them and, and talk through you know, their overall organizational goals and, and what they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis talk through how COVID was impacting their operations and could clearly see changing demand patterns based on what was happening with COVID. So demand on food security and 
the impact of isolation amongst the community was having a, a drastic impact on the way they went about their work and and the demands of the community. Equally, they had a, a you know a great a great network of volunteers who are wanting to do great work. So we stepped back, heard what their business problem was. The team and I sort of went back and prepared our themes document as, as we usually do, had to think about the problems that we thought we could solve and quickly sort of identified that a geographic analysis based on the types of projects that, that they were undertaking was going to be helpful for them. They were they had a re- they actually had a, a fairly rich data set, but it was in a large, cumbersome file, and it was hard to use. So they had a rich data set. It didn't necessarily talk to what was going on with COVID, and we also understood their business was neighbourhood based. So they kind of had a neighbourhood by neighbourhood lens. So we prepared our themes document. Had a couple of options around areas we could help prioritise those. The first being this geographic analysis, and the questions we were we were looking to answer there were. You know, where are the areas that require increment or extra service over this time? And how is COVID impacting demand by each zip code? So that it could help effectively reallocate their resources um, and volunteers around those changing demand patterns. So talk them through the themes and the analysis that we, we could do and where we thought our time was well spent, got their input, tweaked a few things, aligned on the analysis we were trying to build, we all agreed that this, this geographic analysis was was highest and best use. We went away, built out a, a pilot using their data. There was a, a bunch of publicly available information on COVID cases in New York by, by zip code that we were able to leverage as well. Develop a pilot, go through the process of sort of testing it with them on how they would use it on an ongoing basis. And then within a couple of weeks, they have a uh, web-hosted dashboard that their team's able to use to help identify areas where they need to reallocate their resources. And then what we're doing now is on a periodic basis, updating that analysis to make sure that they can continually you know, make, make adjustments around resource allocation. I think where we were able to, where this tool really had a, had a big impact for them was to be able to identify specific zip codes and specific programs in those zip codes that needed some more attention. And given the simplicity of the tool, anyone in the organization can use it. So it's not like there was a, a significant amount of training in, involved. Now it's a, a tool they can use on an ongoing basis to, to, to answer those common questions around, okay, we've got a lot of, we've got a lot of resources, we've got a lot of volunteers, where do, where do we reallocate them to on an ongoing basis? Yeah. And when you, you mentioned pulling in some third-party data, what questions do you ask yourself when you're choosing the right third-party data sources to enrich that analysis? I uh, ask myself all the questions I know my clients are going to ask me. I've, I've been asked enough now to have a, a list that I can almost rattle off. It's, you know, what is, what is the incremental insight that this, this data set will provide? And what will I be able to do with that incremental insight versus without it? Helps me work out, does it matter? Do I care? Is it just nice to have? Does it look pretty or is it actually useful? And how useful? Next question is, how complicated is it going to be to bring in? This goes back to the simplicity versus precision problem. If it's going to mean the level of effort to develop this project is 
times two or times three, but it's only a 20% increment on the insight, it might not be worth doing that right now. Um, so what's the impact? How hard is it to bring in? And then once I'm comfortable that it's a worthwhile effort, some pressure tests on the quality of the data. So what is the source? Where does it actually come from? Because with often find with third-party data sets, it can be assumed that it's right, but it, you know, its true source can be quite varied. So really understanding where, where the underlying source came from, how reliable it is, what can I cross-reference it with? How can I make sure it's, it's, it's right or I can get a sense of how wrong it might be? How much does it cost or you know, the level of effort to acquire it and how regularly it's updated? They're the common questions we go through all the time and they're the ones my clients ask me. So I try and be prepared as much as I can. That's so cool. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you're really, really making sure that that is the right resource. And it's, you know, I think that it is, it can be easy to find, you know, some, some sort of data online or, you know, just data sets that are widely available, especially when it comes to public issues like this. But yeah, making sure that it's coming from the right place. How often is it updated? Those are some, some of the questions that might not be as well, well known or as, it might not be as natural to ask yourself those questions. So thank you for sharing those. No problem. <laughs> and then you also mentioned that it was really important to you to provide New York Cares with a, a dashboard that would be really easy to read and be really easy to consume. So when it comes to packaging insights, um, you know, for New York Cares or your clients or really anybody, what are some tips that you have for packaging those insights so that they can be easily consumed and acted upon? Simple stuff, I would say, put yourself in the other person's shoes. I think having the benefit of building this analysis, I know what it's like to get excited about what's possible. And again, this whole like simplicity versus precision, but make it simple to start. You can always add precision and add, add new views as time goes on. And so I would say, keep it really simple as a starting point. I would say, don't overthink the visualization. And I'll admit, I'm, I'm biased here because... I grew up in Excel spreadsheets and financial models, but I think ground, I always find the benefit of being grounded in the numbers first or the data first, because if you have to prove it to someone, if, if you have to get someone comfortable that the analysis makes sense, at some point, they're going to want to see the underlying data. So you're better off getting yourself comfortable in a simple format first, and then moving to figuring out how to tell that story in a simple visualization. I think other simple things, really simple things, talk slowly and clearly when you're communicating these things. They're really complicated problems. It's hard to grasp all of the concepts that you're talking about. Use simple diagrams and examples. I try and talk about simple examples. If I bought a can of Sprite every month for the last three months and in this latest month, I bought two cans of Sprite. Using those simple examples like that help people conceptualize or understand the challenging concepts. And then, I don't know, I, I think, I think, yeah, appreciating that simplicity is a bit of a, it's a, I had a thought about, I had to think about this when I'm sitting here and I've got, I've got a, I've got a canvas in my room that my last team bought me. That's got a bunch of quotes on it that in hindsight, I probably ask all the time and it's a bit of a pattern, but I think it, it helps 
package things in a good way is, is the questions I'm reading, I'm reading a verbatim here is, do the numbers reconcile? The clients will ask, to, if you can't get comfortable with the numbers in the first place, you're not going to go any further than that. So do the numbers reconcile? Give me, give me the analysis in a table so you can prove it to someone that it works. Think about, so the next quote I've got here is, what would you do with the benefit of the analysis versus what, what you would do without it? So help helps pressure test. Is it going to create any incremental insight from what uh, the business user already has? And that's a good pressure point, a uh, uh, pressure test, I should say, to make sure that we're focusing in the right places. And then the last one, and I always challenge my guys is, if you had the benefit of this analysis, if you had your last $100 or you had to make a decision on what you would do here, what's the decision you would make? And go into the conversation with your client with that mindset because that's the decision that they've got. So you should go in helping them use the tool or use the analysis to answer the question you know they've got. Go all the way to the end. What, what would you do if you were them with the benefit of this analysis? I think that gets me comfortable that we're, we're providing incremental insight and value if we can get through those questions. Definitely. And that just brings such a smile to my face, thinking of there being a poster or, as you said, a canvas, which, by the way, is is that Australia speak for like a piece of artwork? <laughs> yeah, it is. Sorry. <laughs> it is. It's, yeah. A piece of artwork that's got a bunch of quotes on it. Sorry. <laughs> No, that's great. That's really cool. Yeah, no, it just, it makes me smile thinking of that, you know, hanging in your, in your home or your office or wherever you're at. And I wonder how many listeners out there, how many other, you know, people of the community have something like that too in their, in their home. That's really cool. <laughs> um, so last question that I have for you, it's, it's so great to hear about the time that you took to help New York Cares and create this dashboard for them so that they could utilize their data in a more actionable way to help more people. And I'm curious what advice you would give to other analysts and data scientists looking to help other nonprofits like New York Cares. Do it. <laughs> Do it. It's, look, it, it, we didn't know where to start and felt at, at times, I'll admit, didn't know who to reach out to or how we might help. But it's been one of the most rewarding things we've done. And, you know, what I'll say is you'll likely have a really big impact and you can do that with a relatively small commitment. And, you know, for us, we're all in now. We're, we're going to be working with the New York Cares guys going forward. I'm really excited about what, what we've been able to, to do and how we can help them going forward. And, and I would say, you know, find something that you're passionate about and reach out to them directly. My guess is that you'd be welcomed with open arms. They're not only great people, but they appreciate the impact that you can have. And so, yeah, don't be scared. Reach out and, and just get involved. It's a, it's a really good feeling. Great. Yeah, that's super inspiring. I hope that a lot of our listeners out there or people who have analytics expertise will, will seek out these opportunities, especially when it's, you know, the holidays and people are looking for uh, chances to give back like this. You know, it's perfect timing. Yeah, I totally agree. It's one of the one of the highlights for our year. That's for sure. Thanks for listening. What are some of the go to questions you ask yourself to make sure you're still on track with your analysis? Share it with us by leaving a comment on the community at community.alterx.com slash podcast, or share it on social media using the hashtag AlterEverythingPodcast. And don't forget to subscribe to Alter Everything on your favorite podcast app and share with a buddy who you know is deep in the analytics game. 
catch you next time.